So Jonah chapter 1. How, how, you know, Jonah is one of those stories that we tend to relegate to our kids' ministry, right? And, uh, but can I tell you that Jonah is not a kid's message. It's not even a kid's book. In fact, it's kind of a, a tough book. And I want to warn you right now that I'm, I'm titling this series, I Am Jonah, but it's really a, a tale of God's mercy. It's a tale of God's mercy, and you're going to have to let God show that to you as we walk through these chapters one at a time over the next four to five weeks. And we begin today in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you know anything about Jonah, in fact, I, I have to caution right now, there are people that at the very mention of the story of Jonah, they will just write this off. They're like, I'm not even listening. Because if you know anything about Jonah, most people know enough to say it's about a man who said no to God, and because of that, God sent a whale and swallowed him for three days. Well, let's just break it out right now. There is no whale in the Bible. There's no whale in the book of Jonah. And yes, he did get swallowed by a fish, but for some people, they will say, oh, I can't believe that. That's just too outlandish. That's too crazy. I told you the Bible's not significant. Can I, can I be real with you right now? We serve a supernatural God. And on the scale of one to ten of things that I don't quite understand in the Word of God, this doesn't even rank in the top ten. I mean, how about Genesis 1, that our God speaks the Word and creation comes into existence? How about, how about Luke 2, when our God becomes a baby, raised among us, goes to the cross, dies for our sins, and on the third day, God resurrects himself to be our Savior and our Lord. How many know that's a little bit bigger than a fish swallowing a man? So really, the question is not, do I, do I come to a place where I agree that there is a possibility a fish could swallow a man and could survive for three days? No, the question is this, do you believe there's a God who still works in this world today and wants to work in your life? And we'll move heaven and earth if that's what it takes for you to come to know him. See, that's the story of Jonah. This is not a story about a fish. It's a story about our God. And honestly, we've got to open ourselves up this morning and let God speak into us if we're going to receive anything out of it. I have people that tell me, well, you know, Mike, I think I'm okay with Jonah, but, but you know, I think it was a parable. You know, it's like a fairy tale. Well, that'd be okay if it started like once upon a time, there's a man named Jonah. But it doesn't start that way. The historical references, the places, the times, the fact that 2 Kings talks about Jonah, the son of Amittai, who did great things for the kingdom of God. And oh, by the way, Jesus himself, in both Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, referred back to this story as a proof of the prophetic nature of his walk on this earth. So I think he knows a little better than we do that Jonah is something for us to study and know today. So I hope you'll open your hearts. In fact, we're going to pray that way right now, because can I tell you? Joan is not a kid's story, but it'll speak to every one of us today. So, Father, help us. God, we are people that love your word, God. We are people that want you to speak to us by your Holy Spirit, God. Father, we came here today to worship you, God, not as an event, God, because it's part of who we are, God. And, Father, you have met us by your Spirit. And, Lord, even now you've, you've prepared our hearts, God, like fertile ground for the seeds of the word to be sown into. So, God, let there be fruit today. Let it bear up. And God lets you receive all praise, glory, and honor. Father, we ask this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. What I want to do in Jonah chapter 1 is I want to just walk us through the beginning of the story, but I want to point out some things that speak loudly to us today. And the very first thing you see when you read the book of Jonah is something that is 
true to all of us that are followers of Christ, and that is this, that God will often ask us to do things we really don't want to do. It's just truth. Go speak to your neighbor. Oh, please, God, send somebody else. Sacrifice your finance. Oh, God, please, I'm sure someone else is more wealthy than I am. Pray. Oh, God, I'm tired. But God often asks us to do things we really don't want to do. In verse 2, he said to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. There's two things about Nineveh you need to understand. Number one, it was a very significant city in the kingdom of Assyria. In fact, it was a large, large city. Jonah said that it took three days just to, to walk around the, the, the outer wall. And the outer walls are so large, they could drive three chariots around it one side by side. But it was a city that was, was known as being great in its time, but it also was known as being wicked. In fact, uh, the word says it was extremely wicked. In fact, the Ninevites were some of the cruelest people you'd ever, ever read about in history. Their atrocities rank there in, the whole, in, in all of history as just being horrendous. And God said it was so wicked, their wickedness came up before him. I was reading some historical documents about Nineveh and about why is it that he just says, well, they're wicked. Well, they, they were people you did not want to come across in battle and you certainly didn't want to lose to. Because they were known that when they would conquer a city, they would leave no one alive, men, women, or children. They were known for rape and murder. They were known for skinning their victims alive. Literally, afterwards, they would cut off their heads, pile up a, a pyramid of heads in front of the city gate with this message. If you mess with the Assyrians, this is what happens to you. God says their wickedness rose up to him. So go, Jonah, speak to them. Go and minister truth to their lives. And Jonah, like a lot of us, had a lot of reason to say, you know what, God, I choose not to. Because not only was Assyria wicked, not only was Nineveh wicked, but they were right above. They were just north of Israel. So Israel was actually one of their enemies and one of their victims quite often. So naturally, Jonah doesn't want to go there. In fact, Jonah chapter 3, it's interesting. He says the reason he didn't go and preach there because he was afraid they just might repent and God just might forgive them. And then he'd have to love them. That's like praying for like some people in your family. Oh God, I pray for them. But really, if you say them, I have to like love them. That's going to be hard, God. Come on. You know, it really fits why we say every Sunday at the end of our service, every person you meet is somebody that Jesus died for. Because we live in a world of us and them, and yet God doesn't see it that way. God sees everybody as somebody the blood of Jesus purchased and brought life to. So can you blame Jonah? Can you really be judgmental of him? But yet he stands as an example to us of what happens when we say no to God. Because God will often ask us to do things we really don't want to do. The second thing I want you to see is this. Whenever you don't want to obey God, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You can always find a boat going in the opposite direction. Check it out in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. That's a hard word to say, by the way. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a, a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's the beginning of Jonah's rebellion. And I use that word purposely. Here's the beginning of Jonah's rebellion against God. Because God clearly told him to go, and Jonah ran the other way. And not just little ways, Tarshish was literally 1,500 miles away from Nineveh. You couldn't get any further. It was a year's journey on the ship that he had signed up for. Why? Because he was determined to say, God, I can do a lot of things, but I can't do that. 
I can't preach to a people that I consider evil. God, I'm afraid they might turn and receive you. So there's a few things we got to notice right up front if Jonah's going to speak to us over this next four to five weeks. The first thing is this. We are Jonah. Jonah was an upstanding man. Can I tell you, Jonah in his day, the son of Amittai is a prophet. He was like the Billy Graham of, of his day. I mean, he, you read 2 Kings, God did some great things through Jonah. But Jonah, like us, hit a point where his obedience was based on his feelings and not on his reverence toward God. So he literally said no to God. And that tells us that this rebellion simply defined is saying no to God. You know, we tend to evaluate our, our spiritual walk. We tend to evaluate our Christianity by looking at someone else. We're like, well, God, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I go to church more than they do. And I, I serve in kids, and I, I give more than they do, God. I've even gone on a missions trip, God. But God doesn't judge us based on our activity. Based, he judges on our obedience. You see, guys, lordship by its very nature means this. If it's not absolute and total, it's not real at all. So here's the reality. Rebellion is this. You're never further from God than when you're close to him, but you choose to say no to him. You see, somewhere along the line, we forget in that moment when we're saved and we say, oh, God, I surrender all. God, all to you, my Savior, I surrender all. Tell me what you want, God, I'll, I'll do it. But as we begin to kind of get more religious, it becomes easier to say, mm, I'll do everything but that. No, no, God, I don't think I'll obey you in that area. You, you want my finance? No, God, not, that's not cool. And what happens is we find ourselves in the same position as Jonah, not because God asked us to go to the Ninevites, but God just asked us to follow him. Look, there are a lot of godly people who look like they're walking with God in every way, but their lives are hard because some area of their lives, they have been in the habit of saying no to God. Let me give you a couple examples here. Maybe it's that relationship you're in that you know is not pleasing to God, but when God puts his finger on it and says, hey, that's not cool, you say, leave me alone. We're fine. Maybe it's a sacrifice God has been speaking to over your heart about, about an engagement or about, a, about an involvement, or, or maybe it's a matter of who is the Lord over your life and the Lord over your business and the Lord over your finance, and you're convicted a little bit, but you stop and say, you know what, God, I'm sorry, but I just can't obey you there. Maybe it's a sin. You know you need to confess, but it kind of feels good to hang on to it. Maybe it's that moment of unforgiveness towards somebody that, that you're just not ready to let go of yet, and every week God's been tapping and tapping and tapping your heart by the Holy Spirit, and you're like, but God, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And God says, neither did you. My forgiveness. Because you see, I am Jonah. We are Jonah. You're never farther from God than when you're close to him and you can say no to him. There's a second thing I want you to notice here in this verse. It says he found a ship ready. Have you ever noticed that people assume that, that if they're going to run from God or they're going to go the opposite direction and they, they see that there's a vehicle ready for them to, to go that way, somehow in their minds they believe because the ship is ready, it must be that God is okay with my rebellion. But yet that's the exact opposite of what happens. I can't tell you how many conversations I have as a pastor where people are doing something clearly against the will of God, and they'll say, but you know, it all worked out anyway, so it's okay. God must have been okay with that. I'm like, really, at what cost? I've had people in the middle of adultery speak to me and say, well, I'm miserable in my marriage. Okay. 
And then I met this person. It was just random. I really wasn't looking for her. And, and, you know, God wants me to be happy. So I, I just, you know, there will always be a ship sailing in the opposite direction of God's will. And it will always be ready. But can I tell you, the readiness is not a sign of God's blessing. It might just be the trap of the enemy to destroy your soul. And we have to be willing to look at it that way. Let me tell you, it, it is, you can run from God, but there's always a ship ready for Tarshish. We have an enemy whose role is to ready the ship for our own disobedience, and he's good at it. He's good at it. I mean, come on, if you're, if you're flirtatious sexually and all that kind of thing, there will always be someone else that, that just happens to be there that's a, that's a similar flirt, and it'll just entice if, if you're tired of your marriage or you're worn out and you're tired of, of walking through this and maybe it's a struggle at the moment, there will always be somebody that comes on that's too good to be true that's going to present themselves as an option out. And can I tell you, it's too good to be true. If you tolerate greed in your life, there's always another sale. There's always another deal. There's always a way to get beyond and above everybody else. There's always a way to cheat and steal to get ahead. Why? Because your heart's not toward God. It's through the things of this earth. Look, people may say, this is my pet. Can I have a pet peeve? Can pastors have pet peeves? You have pet peeves. Come on. You have pet peeves about pastors. Say that three times fast. I have a pet peeve. Well, pastor, I, have, I had a piece about it. Really? It's a total bless your heart moment. But just because emotionally you have a peace about something that is opposite of God's word does not make it right. And yet we use it as this spiritual trump card. Well, I didn't know what else to do, but I had a peace about it, so it must be okay. Can I tell you, one of Satan's primary roles is to give you peace about doing the wrong thing. How do you know that? Go back to Genesis 3 in the garden. He didn't look at Eve and say, oh, Here's some fruit, it's going to kill you. Here's some fruit, it's going to run your life and humanity. Here's some fruit, have a bite, be rebellious. And say, look at that fruit, isn't it awesome? It's going to taste so good. In fact, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to be just like God. What was he doing? Have a piece about this. No pun intended. But he's good at that. And he brings us into these places and that peace in our heart may not be God's affirmation about what we're doing. It may be Satan numbing our conscience as he leads us down a path towards death. Because remember, he comes to steal, kill, and... Do you find peace anywhere in that? I don't. But yet we've numbed ourselves say, God's okay with my arrangement. Had a good friend, he always said, me and God have a deal worked out. I'm like, really? Interesting. Does that deal line up biblically? No, but God understands me. No, he, no, God knows you. And guess what? There's no deal that he cut on the side. There's one way through the blood of Jesus Christ, him, Lord and Savior of all. So we don't look to peace in our heart as a guide for our lives. We look to God's word because peace in our heart can change based on what you ate last night, what mood you're in, but God's word never changes. Amen? So well, there will always be a ship selling the other direction. And just because it's available doesn't mean it's God's way. But here we see God's mercy, and that's the third thing. When we are saying no to God, we're, we're, we're rebelling against him. Can I tell you, God may send a storm to get your attention. God just might send a storm to get your attention. So often we rail against the storms we face in life. So often we're like, how could God let us go through this? Can I tell you, if we'll stop and see, a lot of times he's just getting our attention. Notice the scripture, verse 4 through 7 says this. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Here, here's the thing about running from God. How many know you can't run from God? 
One of the great premises of our understanding is he is omnipresent. He is wherever you go. So when you think you're running from God, you can't get away from him. So he sent this great storm. The ship's about to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. So here's a bunch of pagans. Here's a bunch of people that are not worshiping the one true God that a prophet comes among them. And because of his disobedience, they're crying out to their make-believe gods, please let one of you wake up, please save us. It's not happening, and there's the prophet and right among them that should be telling them about the one true God. So that even the, they, they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They literally threw their livelihood away because of Jonah's disobedience. But what did Jonah do? He went down below a deck and took a nap. He's sawing logs down below. How ironic that is. I mean, think about it. Here's a prophet of God who's to give the message of God, and yet he's downstairs asleep. It's interesting. Through the book of Jonah, you'll see the word down a lot. And it speaks about the spiral that happens when sin begins to control our lives. It's not a fall off the cliff so much as it is a drift sometimes. It's kind of like the summer if you took a beach vacation. Don't you love going to the beach in Carolina? It's nice, isn't it? We have this thing called an undertow that, that you get on the beach and, and you kind of line up. When Denise and I go to the beach, this girl never gets wet. Her idea of the beach is a book, a blanket, and something to cover her up, okay? Just that, that's beach. And me, me, I'm like bored. I'm like, I got to go play in the water, even with the sharks. I'm still going to play in the water. And, and, I, and I've learned that when I get in the water, I, I like to float. And I always like, okay, she's there. And if I'm not, if I'm not careful, about 10 minutes later, I'm, I finally look back to the shore and I'm like, oh, where'd Denise go? That doesn't look like my hotel. That didn't even look like the place I started at. And I look, I'm like 15 hotels down the beach. I didn't even know it because I've drifted. Can I tell you, spiritually, that's really what happens a lot. It gets easy to say no to God. Before long, we don't even notice that we're drifting further and further away. We wonder why life's so hard. You see, Jonah's down there sleeping, and the captain, verse 6, goes to him and says, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they're, they're casting lots. Every time Jonah's name keeps coming up, it fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Awkward moment. Do you think he's thinking for a moment? I want to say I'm a carpenter, I'm a plumber. I, I'm a prophet of the living God. Where do you come from? What's your country? From who? What, what are your people? And Jonah answered them, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And they're thinking, yeah, right. Boy, what a, what a witness you are, buddy. Huh. Terrified. They asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Can you get this picture? Like He's running from God. He finds a boat going the opposite direction. He gets on and says, hey, guys, we're having a great cruise. And by the way, I'm running from my God. They should have thrown him off on the, on the docks, right? Reminds me years ago, and this will date me. How many remember Promise Keepers? Men? Great movement, right? Denise and I were in Waco, Texas. Pastor first only got Waco there. And, and I wanted to fly out to Florida to be part of the pastor's gathering of promise keepers. And I, I caught a flight out of DFW. And before long, listening to the conversation before we took off, you could tell the whole plane was full of pastors. It's a very holy plane. And yeah, drinks were not being served. No, it's just, it's just a holy plane. Well, there's some others. Anyway, no. But right before, about, you know how it always gets kind of quiet before you, you're taking off? Some joker in the back goes, 
Is anybody possibly named Jonah on the plane today? Yeah, it was a nervous takeoff, man. I was like, we made it. He says, I'm, I'm running from God. I, I'm, already, I'm already running from God. And they're like, What's, what is the picture with this guy? He's come to kill us. So the sea was getting rougher, verse 11, and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to, to you to make the sea calm down for us? And he answers, well, they did not expect him to say, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. I know this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Listen carefully this morning. Our rebellion and our disobedience always affects others besides ourselves. Always. Guaranteed. You say, my sin doesn't hurt anybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. My, my, my saying no to God doesn't hurt my family. Oh, yeah, it does. It always impacts others. Look what happened to these poor pagans who he should have been witnessing to. They threw the cargo overboard. They lost their livelihood because of his sin. Now they're fearful for their own lives. Why? Because we never sin in private. It always has an impact. And can I tell you, for some of you this morning, and I know this sounds harsh, but hear my heart. For some of you this morning, your family, your friends, your kids are suffering because of your disobedience. Because your sins made you a bad father, an unfaithful spouse, a disappointing husband or wife. And the storm that's around you doesn't have to be that hard, but you're allowing it there. Why? Because you're becoming less and less like God the more you push him away. You see, the greatest gift I can give to my wife and my kids is to serve the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest fear I have as a pastor at Hope Church is this. I will give an account for you. My greatest fear is that I would say no to God when God is saying no like you say yes. Whatever the direction may be. One of the hardest things in my life was to say yes to God in a church that ended up causing me to leave there. I didn't want to do it, but I said yes to God. Because I knew this. If I didn't, I would bring my disobedience to everybody else. You see, the greatest gift we can give is, is to my coworkers, to my neighbors, to, to the people around me, is to live close to God and have him as our Lord of all. So when he says this, I say yes, so that now I can be a blessing to others. I'll give you an example. Let's go back to like that airplane example. I always find it ironic because they always say the same thing before you fly. You know, you're supposed to read the card. Nobody reads the card. But one of the things they always say is, in case of turbulence, we, we may have auction masks that drop down from the ceiling. And they always say this, if you have kids, what are you supposed to do? You put the mask on you first, right? And I'm thinking, as a parent, I'm like, no, I'm going to put it on my kid because they have a lot of life to live, right? But the reality is what they're saying is, if you die, you're no good to your kid. If you're unconscious, you have nothing to offer them. It goes against our nature, but the spiritual principle is the same. If we're passed out spiritually, those around us will suffer. For many, can I tell you, people God has put around you. God has put people in your path. God has put people in your company. God has put people in your neighborhood, in your family. But because you are living in this place where you've brought the nature of Jonah to say, God, I'm just going to say no to you, guess what? You're not giving them the chance to receive life that should flow out of you because of what God did for you. I titled this message, I Am Jonah, because we all do it. We've all done it. But i got to tell you, we don't have to stay there. You see, God wanted to use Jonah. God wants to use us 
But whenever we are walking in rebellion, whenever we're walking saying no to God, then it has eternal, devastating consequences to those all around us. Listen, gang, this is in Charlotte, North Carolina, 2019. If you want your kids to grow up materialistic, be materialistic, because guess what? They'll follow your path. But if they want to see them learn to sacrifice and serve God and, and become someone that God works through, then make him Lord of all. Look, if God is not a priority for you, he will not be for your family. And God loves you enough to let a storm come your way to wake you up so you may see him. And that leads to the fourth point today, and that's this. This is where God's mercy comes in. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Jonah needed a storm. He needed what took place. And can I tell you, some of you today are fighting against the very thing God says, no, you need this because you need to wake up. You wonder why your finances are being destroyed. Maybe because you've never thought once of giving them to God. You wonder why your kids are, maybe because they're not seeing a marriage that honors God. You, you wonder why work is so hard. Maybe because everybody there doesn't have any clue at all that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because your identity is hidden. Only be brought out on Sundays like a Superman. Verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord. This is the, these are the pagan sailors. Give them some credit here. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Amazing, the prophet, who would not tell others about God, ends up with a bunch of pagan uh, sailors that now know God because they threw him over the edge and they saw the seas grow calm. I think there's an irony here, too. Maybe you don't see it, but I find irony in the Bible. Can you picture Jonah? He gets thrown overboard. The storm's raging, going crazy. He's probably thinking he's going to drown. He lands, and everything gets calm. He just kicks back, puts his hands behind his head, whew, and he gets swallowed by a fish. I mean, that's a great story. Come on, you got to admit, you can't make this stuff up. So here it is. God sends a fish to swallow him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Here's the thing. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed because God will send storms into our lives to get our attention sometimes. God will send storms into our lives to break us free of our own self-reliance. God will send storms into our lives sometimes to get our attention to see how much we need to depend on him. See, I find there's only two things that really humble us. One should be our theology. If we believe that the Lord our God is our God, and we believe that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, if we believe that I am blood-bought, and I believe that he is my Lord, like Paul the Apostle in Romans, we talked about, I'm a bondservant of God. I have the right to be free, but I choose to be a servant. So put my ear up against the doorpost and go ahead. Put the all through it. If I believe that, and I believe that I'm his servant, I believe that I, I serve him, then my theology humbles, him, humbles me to the place when God says, Mike, go do this. There's only one answer, yes. But we're a little hard-headed. Do you ever get hard-headed? I get hard-headed. We're a little bull-headed. And unfortunately, the only other thing that humbles us, not our theology, is affliction. 
Oh, we'd like to avoid affliction if we could, but can I tell you, we can, but we just don't because we say no to God so often. So if we're slaves to money, God will attack it. If, we're addict, if we are addicted to God, to, to, if we are addicted to people's approval, can I tell you, God will frustrate you with people that will just not approve of you. If we're proud, we don't need God. And God will flat let you fall on your face and let you fail big time. I've been there. God, why are you doing this to me? Because you're not listening. And I love you too much. I'm too merciful to let you stay in the storm. Because here's the thing about the storm. If, if Jonah continued to fight the storm, not only would he have died, but the rest of that crew would have died as well. But the moment he gave in to it and said, okay, fine, throw me overboard, the storm grew calm. Why? Because God had mercy on him to the point that he actually had a storm come in his life to get his attention. And can I tell you, some of you, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but some of you are right there right now. And you're wanting to set up counseling appointments saying, why is life so hard? Is Jesus Lord of all or not? Is he, is he like the cross you wear on your neck as a piece of jewelry, or is he really your Savior above everything? It doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that difficult. But we, we sometimes find ourselves in a place where God allows the storm to come into our lives to get our attention. Now, let's be careful, and I'll be good as your pastor, and say, look, not every storm is from God. We teach that all the time around here. Sometimes we're caught up in the backwash of a culture that's turning our back towards God. Can we agree with that? Sometimes we're caught up in the storm of other people's lives and other people's choices. But there are times where the storm absolutely has our name on it. You say, well, Mike, how do you know that then? How do I know the difference? How do I know if what I'm going through is of God or not? Well, ask yourself, number one, am I obeying him in every area of my life? Not perfection, but am I saying yes? If he says something, yes. But number two, I believe this, ask him. God, is this of you or is this of Satan? Because our God is a communicating God. I know when our kids are growing up and there'd be a moment where they need discipline like we all do, and, you know, we, we didn't, it'd be, we'd be terrible parents like discipline them and say, oh, go figure out what you did. See if you deserved it. No, we take time, we talk. The worst part of discipline is the talk, right? It's like, well, you know you did this. No, that's our God. If we ask him, he's going to say, look, I love you too much to leave you hanging out here on the edge not knowing what's going on, so I will show you, I will show you the area that I've asked you to obey me and that you've said no. See, Jonah was just like the rest of us. I am Jonah. He was too into himself. He was too afraid the people he hated might just get saved. He was too afraid if he obeyed God, he would lose something in his life. So God had sent a storm his way when he was running, and he ends up in a belly of the fish that had to smell like an outhouse of the state fair, and it didn't have to get there. Just like you don't have to be where you are right now. Look, you don't have to be there. It doesn't have to be that hard. My heart breaks as a pastor. You share stories, and I'm like, it does, you don't have to be there. Just turn. Just repent. Just, just go and do what God has asked you to do. He's not asking you to do anything to punish you. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the breakdown of Jonah. Jonah, preach the word to people that need to know me. And Jonah says, no, I don't want them to know you. How selfish is that? See, I am Jonah. We're going to stop there in the story today, but I want to finish by just pointing out two things that you're going to need to really keep in mind to see as we walk through the rest of this book. You see, Jonah, the book of Jonah shows us two things that are so critical. 
And the first is this, is the book of Jonah shows us, shows us what a real sinner is. Sinners are always them. We got to go reach them. <laughs> we got to evangelize them. But yet Jonah shows us what it is to really be opposed to God. Like I told you earlier, Jonah's upstanding in every other way. He's just not willing to do this one thing, what God called him to do. And he was a dilemma. It was a great dilemma. Think about what would happen to Jonah. One or two things. He goes to Nineveh, a city that is so wicked. And he says, repent. Come to know the God most high. Come to know Jehovah. One or two things could happen. One, they don't repent and they kill him because he's an enemy. He's miserable. Or two, they do repent. God does forgive them. And then Jonah's got to like, act like he likes them the rest of his days. And what was happening here is that Jonah was being challenged to do something that threatened his very identity. I'm a good Jew. I'm an Israelite. They're our enemies. It's easy to obey God when it doesn't threaten your identity. It's easy to obey God when it's just blessing, blessing, blessing. It's hard to obey God when it just might put you in a place where now your identity is challenged. And things that make you who you think you are now you've got to realize it really isn't who you are. God calls you to be, find your identity in him. So he was sent there to speak. He was sent there to this place. He was sent there to, to, to minister to them. But he said, no, God, I just can't do it. And it begs the question, and we have to face it every day. And that is, a lot of our religion, a lot of who we are, a lot of what we call Christianity, honestly, has nothing to do with God. It has a lot to do with culture. It has a lot to do with family. It has a lot to do with a get-out-of-hell-free card. It has a lot to do with fear. When really our faith is simply this, we were lost, we were dying, our wickedness rose up before God, and instead of torching everything, He sent His one and only Son to die for us, to bear our wrath so that we may know our God and be forgiven and cleansed by Him. So the question is for us today, because most of us are religious. Most of us do mostly right things. But really the question is, are we willing to obey God even if it costs us everything? Even if it takes you away from that which you think is precious. Even if, you, even if it challenges the very thing that defines your sense of identity, are we willing to obey God? Are we willing just to make excuses? Well, it's just our culture, it's just our day, it's just what everybody else does. Verse 3 gives a very interesting insight to Jonah. It said, Jonah ran away from the presence of God. That, that phrase, presence of God, there in the Hebrew, it speaks of the face of God. So Jonah knows he can't get away from God. He just wants God in his rearview mirror so he doesn't have to look at him. He, just wants, he wants God in a place where I don't have to make eye contact and know what he's done for me and yet say, I refuse you. I don't know about you with your kids. It was always easy to tell my kids to lie because they would never look you in the face. What'd you do? Nothing. Who broke that? They did. That's Jonah. He doesn't want to look in the face of God. But yet one of the greatest blessings in the Old Testament said this. It said, may God's face shine upon you. May his face turn toward you and give you peace. See, ideally, Jonah wanted to obey God and have his presence. But when it came to a threat over what he loved most, which was his identity, he chose to stay with what he loved most instead of what he loved about God. You see, real obedience to God is simply this. It's when you so value the face of God, it's so precious to you that you'd give up everything to be in it. 
Reminds me of the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? They had a choice. Do we, do we bow to Nebuchadnezzar or do we get thrown into the fire? And I love what they said. They said, oh, king, <laughs> throw us in the fire. Because you know what? Our God will save us. But even if he does not, we will not bow to you. Because we value his face more than we value you. And God rescued them. And it brings us to that question, would we rather be in the flames with God or in the safety of our own making without him? Would we rather walk in the joy of the face of our God, even if it means obeying him in a very difficult situation, or have the benefits of disobedience without God? It really comes down to our choice. Because Jonah is us. If we want to see what a real sinner looks like, we look in the mirror. Because daily we're challenged. Will you obey me? Will you say yes to me? Will you, will you do what the Word of God says? Daily we're challenged, and we wonder why we struggle so much. So the book of Jonah shows us what a real sinner looks like, but it also shows us who the real Savior is. And it's such a beautiful picture. You see, there's this big contrast being set up between how Jonah feels about the Ninevites and how God feels about them. Jonah, and we would say, probably with every right as a human, did not want to see them come to God. In fact, he wanted his enemies destroyed. You ever been there? It's a bad place. When you start thinking, God save everybody but that one. It's a bad place when you think that you are worthy of God's grace, but they're not. You see, Judah, Jonah wanted to see his enemies destroyed, but God wanted to see them forgiven. And Jonah actually gives us this picture of the real Savior who would come to the Ninevites. Because in Matthew 12, it says that Jesus said that he was the prophet like Jonah. He said that his death and resurrection were fulfillment of the sign given through Jonah. In fact, listen carefully. So I'm going to read. I don't want you to miss this picture. Just picture what's going on here. Jonah was cast out into the sea, and the sea became calm. He was swallowed by a fish and taken down to the depths of the ocean. And three days later, he was brought back to the land of the living. Jesus was cast out into the ocean of God's wrath at the cross. And the great tempest of God against our sin became calm he was the heart he was in the heart of the earth for three days like jonah but then he rose from the grave you see the difference between jonah and jesus is that jonah only did what god said he did it involuntarily he did it against his best wishes because of his disobedience but jesus went through all of it because of our disobedience think about it joseph jonah ran from his enemies jesus ran to them I am Jonah. Jonah was on a mission of revenge because he hated the Ninevites, but Jesus came on a mission of mercy because he loves us. Jonah was all about his self-protection, but Jesus poured out everything in his own self-sacrifice. Why? Because he loved us. I hear people refer to God in the Bible sometime, and they'll say, I just don't believe in a God, or I don't believe in a Bible that, that, that it would punish people for their sin. But can I tell you, the moment... The moment we experience anything on earth where we get a taste of evil directed against us by another human being, what we want is vengeance. We don't want mercy. Yet God poured out mercy on us through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we usually fail to understand something. Is that as all of our sin is to God what Nineveh's sin was to Jonah. Our sin is what crucified Jesus. It is infinitely more hideous to God than the worst sin ever, ever formed against us. Nineveh's sin against God was great, 
But our sin, sin against God was even greater. I started out this message by saying, I'm Jonah, but I'll, I'll conclude it with this. I'm also Nineveh. Because my sin is the same as the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. Anytime I think I'm better than, I'm missing the point. I'm Jonah because I'm tempted to say no. I'm Nineveh because my sin is real. But my God is greater. And the moment I bow the knee to him, the moment I repent, the moment I say yes, Lord, to you, he is able to do that which I cannot because he not only forgives our sin, he cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. And what God wants for us and he wants through us is he wants a people who develop a heart like his that overflows with goodness and compassion to those that are far from God. We're not a club that walks in the door, closes the door, locks the key and says we're in, we're good. We're a group of people that come together and say, how can God work through us that others may know him? How can this world that some days drives us mad, how can this world with people that sometimes do things that we just want in our humanity say, we just want to be wiped off the face of the earth, how can we as a people say, God, how can you work through us that they may experience the same grace and the same mercy that we have experienced? But can I tell you, it begins when we learn to say yes to God. Because if we're all caught up of the storm because of our disobedience, we leave everybody like those sailors on the deck going, he's a prophet from God. What's up with that? Our witness is not that we go to church and not that we say we're better together. It is a witness that says, you know what? We live it out to the best of our abilities and God puts people in our lives even when we're struggling. God helps us and God shows us with his goodness and compassion that he will work in us when we make him Lord of all. We're going to see in Jonah, and we're going to wrap this up, we're going to see in Jonah there's really three possible responses to the word of God. Number one, and sadly there's a lot of people that are there, and that is just flat out disobedience. I will not bow the knee. I will not believe it. I will not trust God. My prayer is that changes. My prayer is that you wake up. My prayers is you find the same grace and mercy that God saved me with. There's a second response, and that's where most people are in church, and that's a dutiful obedience, like we'll see in Jonah chapters 3 and 4. And honestly, that's where a lot of us are. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to. But all right. If I have to. Pastor said, be nice. Everybody, Chad said, shake your hand. Act like you like somebody. He's going to make us pray for each other at the end. I have to act like I care. God just has to shake his head. It's like when you tell your little kid, hey, tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Get over it. I hate you. Okay. It's, it's, it's dutiful, but it means nothing. But there's this gospel-transformed obedience where we act like God acts toward us. We love like God loves. And we, we give people patience. We give people room. We give people to, time to grow. And we let God speak to them because we know that the one who saved us wants to save them. Guys, it's like I tell you a lot of times, God is not looking for your obedience. He's looking for a new kind of obedience. And that only comes when we have a grace experience with God. It only comes when we surrender ourselves to God and say, God, it's all yours whatever you want. So how do we wrap this up today? And this is so critical. Some of us are in the same place as Jonah right now, and you know it. Some of you are like, Mike, you just described my life. Way to go. Came to be encouraged, now I'm not. Well, let me encourage you. Some of you are right where Jonah is. You're like, why is it always so hard? It doesn't have to be. And I believe firmly in my heart right now, God, by his Holy Spirit, just taking his finger and saying, remember that? 
Remember when I asked you to obey? You think I forget? I haven't forgotten. And I know if you won't trust me there, you won't trust me here. So I, I can't pull you out of the storm yet until you learn to trust me here. Some of you are living in your false peace right now. You think God is blessing your relationship because nothing bad has happened, or at least not that bad. And your relationship's not godly at all. He will always, Satan will always provide a ship. It will sail in the opposite direction. It will always be ready. But don't mistake a peace with the truth of God's word. Because someday that peace collapses. But know this, if you're in a storm right now, it, it, it's a storm of God's mercy and grace. It, it's not there to pay you back for your sin, but to bring you back from your sin. You see, Jesus was paid back for your sin. Jesus went into the storm of God's wrath for you, and he took it all. So when we see the storms, it's not God's wrath in the storm, it's God's love in the storm. Because the storms God brings into our lives are not about retribution. They're always about restoration. And that's God's call to you through Jonah. Come to me. All you who are tired, worn out, weary, overburdened i'll give you rest come to me when you know the rebellion of your heart makes you think that i don't want you near me he says come to me let me show you the beauty of repentance and what takes place when you find my love in a way you've never experienced before come to me when you're ready to bail out on that, on that marriage or bail out on that place because it's just too hard and you forget that god is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine come to me Say yes to me. Let me show you who I am. That's our God. That's our Jesus. That's our Savior. We see him too often as we see humans. We're afraid if we come to him, he's going to backhand us. But that's not our God. We're afraid that he's going to ask too much. If I say yes, God, then you're going to like send me to, like I don't know, Iran as a missionary. Now, God knows how he made you. He knows what he created you for, and he will equip you for what he's created you for. And he'll never send you where he's not already given you a love for. See, if Jonah would have just started walking towards Nineveh, sometimes you just got to start walking. If he started walking towards Nineveh, I believe God would have just opened his heart. And he'd have seen, you know what, God, these are people that are blinded by sin. These are people that don't know any better. God, these are people that, that have not experienced your grace. I, I think if he'd have just started walking toward Nineveh, God would open his heart. But instead he ran. So this morning I ask you before we respond to God in communion, why? Why keep fighting against the storm? Why keep running? God only wants to bless your life and use you more greatly than you've ever dreamed. We just have to stop resisting and say yes, Lord.